I've got for this morning. So if the Sunday school wishes to... Sunday school's away, all right. Sunday school's away. Where are they away to? Are they away on a trip today? Are they away? They must be practicing hard for Easter. That's what it is, isn't it? Practicing hard for Easter. What about your lot, Fernando? Are they practicing hard for, for June the 9th? This afternoon they're going to be practicing glory to God. Easter's coming up soon and we've got all kinds of things planned for that Easter weekend. Now we're not going to be doing a great big drama production again on this particular Easter, uh, but there's all kinds of stuff that's going to be happening that involve the children, involve adults, and uh, it's going to be just a great whole weekend. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. We'll let you know uh, shortly in due course exactly what it's going to be. All right, come with me please. The Word of God this morning to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. I want to read from verse 6. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. The men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She is my sister. For he was afraid to say, She is my wife, because he thought, Lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. He was cuddling her in a way that was obvious that it wasn't his sister. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Quite obviously she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I said, Lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants, so the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he called them by the names which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of water, running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. Therefore he called the name of the well Isaac, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth. 
Because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Amen. And hot, very dry eastern lands, a well is and always has been a very prized possession. The owner's whole life and livelihood was utterly dependent upon it. Sally and I, a few years ago, were in Kenya, and as we traveled through, we saw particularly the Maasai tribes, and the Maasai tribes are herdsmen, and they would go wherever the water was, and whenever the wells dried up, they would move their great herds, and they would go to find more water, and so they roamed the land and found the various wells and dug wells. It was very, very important to have that. And so his sheep, his herds, his flocks, his prosperity, his family, his home, his posterity, his future, all of it was contingent upon a regular supply of water from the well. And he was very careful to maintain it. From time to time, he'd have to repair it and protect it and value it. He would neglect it at his peril. And so it was vital and important in the life of those who lived, who were Bedouin people who lived in eastern lands. Now, in Genesis 26 here, Isaac was living among the Philistines because of a famine. And we see here that he repeated the mistake his father Abraham had made decades before where he lied about his wife and uh, king of the Philistines, this Abimelech, which is not really his name, but his title. Uh, he was not pleased about it at all. It's amazing how a pagan king even had a bit more savvy about him than Isaac, a godly man, isn't it? And so, in spite of that mistake, and it was a bad mistake that caused a lot of problems, in spite of all of that, God still honored this man and blessed him and prospered him until he became so blessed and so prosperous and his herds and his flocks and his herdsmen and his family became so great that the Philistines in that area said, we want you to leave because now you're mightier than us. And so Isaac didn't resist that. He decided, well, that's probably the best thing to do. And uh, so he moved into the valley of Gerar. And as we saw there, he started to dig again the old wells that his father Abraham had dug that the Philistines had long since uh, blocked up and stopped up. And so God has mightily prospered Isaac and he begins to dig again these old wells. Now, Genesis 26, this story of Isaac digging these wells gives us some lessons, particularly about God's flow in our lives. God has got a flow for us in our lives. And so we need to understand and encourage God's flow in our lives. If we do not do it, it will be at our peril. We will be the losers in our Christian experience. Our lives ought to be a well of living water. You remember Jesus, how in chapter 4 of John, and how he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. 
woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. So the Lord is clearly telling us that there is a well within us, a spiritual well of flowing, living water. He emphasized this again in John chapter 7. Verse 37, on that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So there is the promise of living water within our very souls, our spirits. And we ought to have and recognize that we need this well to be flowing. In Ezekiel chapter 47, Ezekiel gets a fantastic vision of the throne of God. And from that throne of God, there was a river that flowed. And as he watched the river flowing, it came to his ankles and then it flowed deeper, and it came to his knees, and then it came to his waist, and then he says it came to there was waters to swim in. And so I believe that with the river that God has got for us, I believe that there is enough and more for us. There's much more, far much more uh, than what we're currently experiencing in our present lives. Sometimes you feel that you're just paddling whenever we should be swimming. Sometimes we go a little bit better and it's up to our knees and it's wonderful. But there's always more to come. There's always more that's there if we understood that. Our lives should be as a well of living water. But then here's the other thing. The enemy wants to block the flow of God in our lives. If the enemy can block the flow of God in our lives, we will be living far, far below our privileges as believers. We will not be enjoying our Christian experience the way we ought to be. We'll not be as effective as believers the way we ought to be. And the enemy is an expert at wanting to Stop the flow of God. If he knows he can stop the flow of God in our lives, he knows it will be ineffective, will not be any threat to his kingdom. Notice in verse 15 that the Philistines blocked the wells and filled them with earth, it says. 
Nothing will stop the flow of God in your life like earthly things. If you fill up your life with earthly things, it'll stop the flow of God. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. I think that one of the biggest problems the church generally has got today, particularly in the Western world, is that we have not set our minds on things above, we have set our affections on things below. And we fill up our lives, we stuff our lives with all kinds of earthly things. Now there may be no harm in them per se, but the trouble is, if that's all that's in our lives, then there's no room for the Holy Spirit river to flow in our lives. He can't flow because we're stuffed up with earthly things. And Paul says, set your mind, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. I've got a problem. Sometimes it angers me. Often it saddens me. Sometimes it almost depresses me. When I look at the state of the church and I see the worldliness in the church, it bothers me. In one hand we say we want God to move. In one hand we say we want the Holy Spirit to move. One hand we say we want to see miracles. Another hand we say we want to see the supernatural. But we want to live the way the world lives. And we think the way the world thinks. And we talk the way the world talks. And we dress the way the world dresses. And we go to the places the world goes. And we do the things the world does. And we wonder why God's not moving. Because we offend the Holy Spirit. We offend Him. We vax and We grieve Him. And worse than that, we don't even see it. We don't even see it. It doesn't bother us. It doesn't bother us in the slightest. God forgive us. God forgive us for that. It doesn't bother us. You look at the church today and you look at the world, you can tell what's the difference? Is there any difference? No wonder we have no impact in the world. No wonder they laugh at us. No wonder you've got a witness to them and look at you as if to say, you witnessing to me. You're no different than I am. You're doing the same things. You're going to the same places. It's a joke. They just say you're a hypocrite. And it's all very well. We're saying we're hungry for God and we want God and we want this and we want that. God says, All right, do you really want it? Or do you really want what the world's got? Because that's what you hold on to. Think this week or this month or this past while. What is the thing that's excited you the most? Think about it. What is the thing that you really look forward to? What is the thing you're happiest about? What is the thing that captivated your attention and your time and your effort? What was it? Was it something that was godly? Was it the Word of God? Was it prayer? Was it the house of God? If it's none of those things, then you've got to ask the question, where are we in terms of worldliness? See, we've got to ask ourselves these questions. We've got, to, we've got to actually take spiritual inventory from time to time and say, God, where am I? Where am I before you? Where am I in the things of God? What is the thing that drives me? What's the thing that excites me? 
I'm going to embarrass her now, but there's young Ruth down there. It's on Facebook. For you who don't know Facebook, it's internet, social works, social work, social interaction sites, social work. I don't want to go down that road today. And I suppose there's some good in it, and, and you certainly can put some good posts on it, and people can read it and be encouraged and blessed. But you know what most Christians put on it? The biggest load of rubbish you have ever seen in your life. For there's a young girl down there, and every time I read her posts, it's something about the things of God. She'll quote a hymn, she'll quote a verse. What age are you, Darren? Fourteen. And she's more guts in her than a lot of adults has to witness for Christ and to shine for Jesus even on Facebook. Sorry if that embarrassed you, Darren, but I just had to say that to you this morning. Keep it up. You never know who you will influence for Jesus by doing that. Filled it up with earth. Earthly things. Remember Jesus spoke in Mark 4 when he talked about the sowing and the seed and the various types of ground. Now these are the ones that are sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this word, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire of other things entering in, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. You wonder why you come to church and you're bored. You wonder why you come to church and you can't even sing the songs. You said like a knot in the log. You know why? Because we're too worldly. Because you think you can come to church and turn it on and you can't. If you don't turn it on during the week, you're not going to turn it on Sunday. That's just the brutal truth of it, isn't it? And we come to church and we don't let anything out of it today. I was bored. Why? Because we didn't do anything all week. Never opened the Bible, never prayed, never sought the Lord, never spent time alone. You come in on the Sunday and you look at people on the platform and you expect us to do it and we can't do it for you. I can't do it only except for me. If I don't seek the Lord during the week, if I don't go into my room, if I don't read, if I don't pray and I get up here, I can't just switch it on. <laughs> can't. It doesn't work. And it won't work for you either. I say, David, this is the ministry of castor oil this morning. It grieves me. It really grieves me. I read a statement during the week that, that I thought, boy, that's some statement. One man said, if you're not willing to change your lifestyle for Christ, you'll not be willing to lay your life down for Christ. Let me tell you something, folks. We are in the last of the last days. Unless we waken up fast... All of our Christian rights are being eroded, aren't they? Everything that we hold dear is being mocked and jeered at. It's being, truth has fallen in the street. So the pressure is going to come on every single believer. And if we can't hack it now, we're not going to hack it when it gets worse. We're just not going to make it. We'll just fold away. We'll not take the pressure. So we need now to make sure that we've got a well that's flowing and that we're doing what we ought to do. 1 John 2, 15 and 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If any loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world is passing away. See, I want to go and live in heaven for all eternity when I die. But we don't want to be around the people of God on earth. We don't want to spend time with the Lord now. What do you think is going to be any different in heaven? Hmm? This is the preparation. This is the preparation time for that. And so they filled the wells with earth. It doesn't say it, but it implies it, that they filled them with rocks. With rocks. Sometimes what will try to stop the flow in your life is not so much the worldly things, but just the hard times, the rocks, the difficult circumstances, the tough times. Someone said a problem never leaves you or it finds you. It will always make you bitter or make you better. And sometimes people go through tough times and hard places, difficult circumstances, and in the journey through that, they actually become closer to God. And they come out the other side stronger than they went in. Others don't. So the enemy is going to try oftentimes to engineer circumstances in your life that will bring difficult times, hard times, tough times, But we've got to keep that well flowing. In spite of those rocks that the enemy's trying to throw in to block it up. We've got to keep that well flowing. That's where our strength will come from. That's where our strength will get us through. Sometimes what they would do as well, they would just throw in a dead carcass of an animal. That's all they had to do, just a dead carcass of an animal, just tip it into somebody's well. And you can imagine in a hot country, even within hours, the flies is gathered, the maggots are crawling, and the well becomes poisoned, maybe for months on end. And sometimes that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to poison our very souls. He wants to bring death to our souls. There's things that will pollute and poison our very souls. Be careful what you watch. Be careful about the internet. Parents, be doubly careful with your kids. If they've got a smartphone that has access to the internet, please be doubly careful. Because trust me, you can get anything on that phone anything more than you can ever imagine it's all available for our kids to see but it's not only kids look at it adults and what does it do it poisons your very soul it'll eat the very soul out of you and it'll haunt you and hound you 
until you surrender it to Christ. Until you give up and say, Lord, help me. Because this has poisoned me. In Ecclesiastes 10 and 1, it says, Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly in one respected for wisdom and honor. The king's perfumer, the old version says the apothecary, who mix the most exquisite, the most fragrant, the most beautiful ointments, highly perfumed for the king. But this particular perfumer, he left the lid off. And what was highly attractive to the king was also highly attractive to the flies. And they came and they landed on it and they sank into it. And by the time he found out it was too late, it poisoned it. And it gave off a stink, a foul odor. And the enemy has got the flies, stuff that will come that will be attracted to your life. If your life is godly, it will be attracted to it, to poison it, to ruin it. To make it give off a foul odor. How many men and women of God have you heard about over the years? And their lives became a stink because the flies get in. The flies get in. They weren't careful enough to protect and to guard it, to keep the lid on it. In 2 Kings chapter 4, talks about the school of the prophets there and how there was a famine. And Elisha asked one of the young men, young prophets, to go out and to get some gourds of vines, chop them up and put them in the pot. That's all they had to eat. So he went out. He found a vine. And he took the gourds and he chopped them up. But what he didn't know was that these wild gourds, the ones that he picked, were poisonous. And whenever they chopped them up and boiled them up to make a stew, when they went to eat it, they cried, Alas, Master! <laughs> there is death in the pot! And Elisha threw in some flour, and God did a miracle and saved them. But the point is that those wild gourds, they looked the same as the good ones. They felt the same as the good ones. But they weren't. Now, when I was a young boy, there was fields behind where we lived. And many a time, very early in the morning, because there was horses in this field, and where there's horses, very often you'll get mushrooms growing. And so you'd go out early in the morning and pick mushrooms. Fortunately, in that field, there was only the good mushrooms. You didn't have any choice. There was only the one type, which was good. Very good because I wouldn't have known otherwise. But I'm old enough to know now that there's many types and they're edible, but there's some of them are inedible. And unless you know the ones that are edible and inedible, unless you can discern the difference between them, there's going to be death in your pot. 
And this young man didn't know the difference because they looked the same and they felt the same and it seemed right and it seemed the right thing to do. But it was the wrong thing and it brought death into the pot. Devil's crafty, you know. Want to bring things into our lives that look right and seem right. Sometimes it's not the obvious things, but it's the things that look right and seem right. But they're not right. They're not right. We need to be able to discern what's good for us, what's not good for us. So we don't have death in the pot. Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence. Try to keep your heart right. Try to keep it pure. Try to keep it in control. Because the enemy will want to come along and fill it with rocks and fill it with earth and things that will bring death to your spirit. Sometimes you have to dig again the old wells. In verse 18, he dug again the old wells that his father had dug before him. The areas in our lives that was once flowing, the joy, the peace, the love, the blessing, the anointing, whatever it was that was once flowing, but now is flowing no longer. Sometimes you've got to go back and dig those wells again. And take out that stuff that has blocked it. That's not easy. Because when you try to do that, then you're going to meet with some opposition. The devil will do everything in his power to stop you getting your well flowing. Because he knows that's the most important thing in your life. And so as they began to dig again these wells, first of all, there was contention and there was strife and there was quarreling. That's why he called it Isaac, because that's what that means. Quarreling, contention, strife. When you set your sights to go fully after God, when you set your seal to go fully after the things of God, you can be sure that the enemy will try to stir up some strife and contention in your life. So be aware of it. It's not going to make it easy for you. If it was easy, we'd all be doing it. It's not so easy. James 3.14, But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Strife can come up so easily. You can get into strife with people. The enemy will make sure that somebody will come along your way or something will happen that will try to cause strife and animosity and quarreling and tension, all the rest of it. And as long as that stuff's going on, that well will not be flowing. And then they dug again another well. And again, there was opposition, there was adversity, there was accusation, there was hatred. Sitna, he called that, because that's what that means. By the word, the same root word where we get Satan from. The devil's behind that a lot, isn't he? Isn't it amazing when you go to do something for God, how that He comes and brings some kind of 
accusation or some kind of court or some kind of contention or adversity or opposition just to try to stop you doing that. You remember whenever Nehemiah was building the wall, rebuilding the wall, getting those old stones that had been burnt down, all the heaps of rubbish that it talked about. I mean, it looked a mess when you looked at all the heaps of rubbish that used to be the stone walls of Jerusalem. But whenever they started to sort out those stones and out of those fires, they would pick the best stones they could get and rebuild again. As soon as that began to happen, suddenly, out of the woodwork, comes Sanballat and Tobias and Gashmu and others. And they mocked them and they jeered them and they threatened them and they did everything to stop them building that wall. But they didn't succeed. Because Nehemiah kept building. <laughs> and they were spread out along the wall. And they had a trial in one hand and a spear in the other hand. They were prepared for anything. And when you go to unblock those wells, you can be sure there's going to be some opposition. The devil's going to stir something up to try to stop you. But you've got to realize that's going to happen. So when it happens, you know where it's coming from. You know the root of it. So whether it's digging a well like Isaac or rebuilding a wall like Nehemiah or like David at Ziglag, having to recover all, there's going to be opposition when you go to do it. But you just got to dig in there and just do it. When you start to read through the scriptures and you come to those passages that you don't understand and those passages with all those genealogies and all of that stuff that you're so tempted just to say, Acha, forget that, there's nothing in that. That's what the devil wants you to do. Before you know it, you know, well, forget that chapter. Oh, I don't like that book. I'll just forget that book. And before you know it, you're not reading anything. Keep at it. Bear down on the Word. Get stuck into it. Keep praying. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep coming to the house of God. People make every excuse in the book not to be in the house of God. Why did they do that? Because they're bored when they come. Why are they bored when they come? Because they don't seek God during the week. They don't make time for God in their lives. Say, so David, you're very hard on us this morning. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help your spiritual life to grow. It would be remiss of me if I didn't from time to time waken you up to the reality and the truth of these things. And I just let you drift and go on and not jag you. That's why the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, the words of the preacher are like goads and nails. Sometimes you need to goad, you need to get that big sharp stick and just hit you with it. Not very pleasant, is it? You'll fall out with me from time to time. You won't like me. But I have to do it. I have to do it. Better me giving you a job with the Word of God than the devil come along giving you a job. Let me tell you. The words of the preacher that goes and nails. What does a nail do? Establishes you, doesn't it? Nails you down. So you're not flapping all over the place. So sometimes you have to dig the old wells. Sometimes you have to dig another well. In verse 22, they dug another well. And this time, they had broken through. And this time, there was no opposition. And there was no quarrels. And there was no contention. There was no tension. And this time, God gave them a large, roomy, fruitful place. A Rehoboth. Because that's what that means. A large, roomy, fruitful place. And now they had a well that was flowing pure 
and clean enough and more for all of their livestock and all of their family and all of their servants. Sometimes we have to dig a new well, a new experience, a fresh well, fresh oil, fresh breath from heaven. How we need that, amen? I don't know about you, but I need that. Every day, continually, that's what we need. Sometimes we have to dig for that. How do you dig a well? How do you do that? How do you begin to dig a well in your life? In Numbers chapter 21, the people have been complaining again. Complaining about food, complaining about water. Verse 16, from there they went to beer. Beer means a well, by the way, which is the well where the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people together, and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, all of you sing to it. The well the leaders sank, dug by the nation's nobles, by the lawgiver with their staves. Spring up, O well, all of you sing to it. The well which the leaders sank, they dug it with their staves. They worshipped and they worked. They worshipped and they dug in. And you and I will never build a well until we learn to worship and just to dig in. It's going to take a while before you hit the water. You have to dig through the ground, sometimes the hard ground. But while you're doing it, it says, sing to it, worship the Lord, sing to it. And as you sing to it, and you dig down, and you dig down, and you dig down, there's nothing sure you're going to hit the water. And one day, you'll be reading this book, and the Holy Spirit will just cause something just to jump out at you and grab you that you've never seen before. Or one day you'll be on your knees maybe in prayer in your room and as you're praying and you're getting through it and you're digging down and digging down and digging down suddenly there's release and there's a a spirit and a burden of prayer comes on you that you never had before in your life. Because that's what it takes sometimes to dig down and dig down and dig down and dig down until you hit the water. But you worship while you're doing it. You give God thanks. Isaiah 12 and 3, Therefore with joy will you draw water from the wells of salvation. Psalm 87 and 7, All my springs are in you. (laughs) All my springs are in you. Listen to me this morning. For your sake, for God's sake, and I say that in reverence, dig the well. Make the time. And think to yourself, what has been my life this week? How much of God has been in it? How much time have I spent seeking His face? Think about it. 
because the more you begin to seek after him, as the deer punts after the water brook, the psalmist says, the more you begin to seek him, seek after him, spend time with him, the more you will enjoy that, the more you'll go out of your Christian experience. And when you come to the house of God, you'll be looking for the door to open instead of finding reasons not to be there. Why? Because your spirit is more alive to the things of God. And you come listening and expecting to hear and to meet with the Lord whatever way He wants to turn up in our midst. But we're not going to get there unless we put away the earthly things and seek after God. Listen, soon and very soon the King is coming back and we say we're going to spend our whole eternity with Him. Nothing in this life that we have today is going to be, it's going to be gone. It will pass away in the fashion of it, the Bible says. So why do we hold on to it so dearly? It's going to be gone. Only what's done for Christ will last. I said it before, but I'll say it again. One of the most profound statements I ever read that has caused me to think an awful lot and it's written on Leonard Ravenhill's gravestone. It was one of his great statements. Are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? Are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? Because it's only what Christ died for is going to be worth it in the end. It's the only thing that's going to count in glory, isn't it? Oh, there's plenty of legitimate things. We have spent time with our family and do stuff and go place and all that. and that, That's fine. In moderation. It's fine as long as it's not squeezing God out of our lives. And so much of what we do ends up squeezing God out. Do you know what? You know what I found over the years as a pastor? The very things that people have prayed for for be a blessing in their lives, whether it's children, whether it's a job or a new house or with a car, whatever, the very things they prayed to God to be a blessing in their lives becomes a curse because it's taken up so much of their time and energies and money that God has left aside and the blessing becomes a curse. Don't let that happen to you. Do not let that happen to you because you will be the loser spiritually. We're going to pray. We've had communion. We've worshipped the Lord. We've listened to His Word. So we're going to pray. Just before we close this morning, Lord, would you give us a fresh passion for you? Lord, would you stir our hearts again? Lord, would you fan the flame again? Lord, every single one of us in this room today needs your touch, needs your anointing, need your refreshing, need your power, need your ability, all of your gifting, all of the good things that you have for us. We need it, Lord. But Lord, give us a passion to run after it, to seek you, to run after you, 
the fountainhead of all of the blessings. Lord, help us to seek the blesser more than the blessings. Because if we find the blesser, we'll find the blessings. So Lord, quicken our hearts today. Give us no rest until we're seeking you and we're panting after you. Because Lord, these are the days that are the last days. These are the days when we need to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And Lord, we're not going to be able to do that unless we seek you. Thank you, Lord, for everyone that does. Thank you, Lord, for everyone that you've stirred up. Thank you, Lord, for everyone, Lord, that chases after you. Thank you, Lord, for everyone, Lord, that counts this life, Lord, as something, Lord, that will end and nothing in it will go with us. It's only what's done for Christ will last. So we bless you for this, Lord. Thank you for the well that you've given to each of us. That river of living waters, the Holy Spirit of God. Help us, Lord, to be able to drink from it freely, continually, the pure waters of life, that our spirit may flow in the flow of God, in the river of God. So we give you thanks and we bless you in Jesus' precious and lovely and powerful name. Amen. Amen. Amen.